the We Raise the Stars and Stripes Over Japan podcast. This is Mark Steven Schwartz, and it is both an honor and a privilege for me to read the diaries of American and Allied civilian prisoners of war interned in and around Kobe, Japan during the Great Pacific War, World War II. This is episode number six starting December 25th, 1941. Harold Brinkerhoff. It is an odd Christmas morning. It's like a warm summer day. Not too much different from San Diego. Santa forgot to leave anything in my stocking. Chong brought me a Christmas present of six turnovers filled with sweet potatoes seasoned like pumpkin filling. Boy, they were good. I shared with Lowe. His house girl also brought in some food. We're doing okay today. We're seeing a lot of people. The natives sure are swell people. I wouldn't be surprised if they were cutting themselves short to bring food to us. The local men are still here and are very disappointed at not having been allowed to go home for Christmas. We've been told only the military will be held. There's also a rumor that a Red Cross ship from Honolulu is coming to exchange us. Just wishful thinking, I'm afraid. We have nothing to do, so we hang on every little shred of hope. There's been another exodus by a lot of natives. The rumor is because they fear bombing by the Americans. We had a swell Christmas dinner. Fricasseed chicken, a potato, bread, butter, and a handful of popcorn, coffee, and an apple. All's bright again. We have full stomachs. It's either feast or famine. We are filled to repletion tonight, hungry tomorrow. It's too bad we can't store food like a camel stores water. There was a plane over with a different sounding motor. Everyone rushed out to sea. It turned out to be a four-motor transport with a rising sun on its wings. Disappointed again. Dean Brunton. Christmas came and we sang carols until the guards ordered us to seize and retire at about 9 p.m. It was certainly the most unhappy Christmas to be imagined as we fell asleep on the wooden floor. We wondered when we would again know liberty and freedom and the happiness of a Christmas at home with our loved ones. Here in the cathedral, where so many come in normal times to find the Prince of Peace, we lay awake, pensively regarding the great chandelier and the altar decorations, with the statue of the Virgin smiling upon us while we listened to the thump of heavy field boots as Jap sentries walked up and down the aisles. Charles F. Gregg, up at 7 a.m. as usual, 6 a.m. Guam, now Omiya time. Early breakfast of the normal scanty portions, but there was a steady stream of food from the Chamorro friends of the officers. 11 a.m. had a short service of prayers and sang more carols, but as there were no hymnals, the songs were limited. After the service, we continued with other songs, Old Black Joe, Carry Me Back to Old Virginia, etc., such singing is rather limited, as all group meetings are restricted and have to be passed upon by the censors. 
one swell dinner of a piece of stewed chicken, potato, two slices of bread, and a piece of butter, coffee, and an apple. Also a small piece of pie brought by a chamorro. Finished off the feast with a cigar and relaxed to enjoy that well-fed feeling. Dick Arvidson. A limited holiday atmosphere develops with the Japanese providing extra rations. The prisoners joined in songs in order to celebrate the holidays and improve their spirits. Roy Henning. Spent Christmas Day loading cement onto barges. Eat a lunch, have a chicken dinner, and sing carols. Bryant Sterling. Spent Christmas on working party at Petey. For Christmas dinner, we had small piece of chicken, I had the drumstick, ladle of stew, and an apple. Everyone sleeps on the floor and uses what bed clothes he has. Managed to grab a bunch of pool table felt and a large dark pink sheet, the color man hates. December 26, 1941. Harold Brinkerhoff. Since putting in the shower, we've had a lot of mosquitoes. The water stands in the ditch, making a good breeding place for them. Those fellows who have no blankets or sheets were issued navy hammocks. I fold this over and so keep the mosquitoes off a little. There have been several work parties to Petey to unload Jap ships. The fellows came back with potatoes, onions, tea, rice, and daikon stuffed in their pockets. There has been some ill feelings between the civilian and the Navy as it's only been Navy personnel on the work parties. Besides the good things the fellows are able to pick up, they're given a good meal while there. Civilians have been included for further work details and I'm going tomorrow. Charles F. Gregg. Back to the slim rations again. No great activity. Walked up and down the portion of the plaza we are allowed to use during exercise period. Spent considerable time reading Children of God, Story of the Growth of Mormons. Played billiards with Eldridge and Father E. It rained a great deal today and night was cold. Dinner, small ration and no bread, but had coffee from Mrs. Mesa, and the medicos received some toast and cheese they divided, so we ate well, thanks to them. December 27, 1941, Charles F. Gregg. Rumors of gunfire and land explosions to the north of Guam supposedly from 8 to 8.30 p.m. and 4.30 to 5 a.m. Also talk of Japan giving terms of peace to President Roosevelt, which were rejected with words, you started the war and we will finish it. More rain today. Plane flew overhead, twin float, SOC type. Several days ago, a Japanese four-engine transport type seaplane past the 2,000 feet. It looked like an S-42 with different location of the windows. Working parties have gone to Petey and Sume the past three days. 
They are supposed to be raising Sume. The PD Work Party report that they are unloading large supplies of food, mainly rice and canned fish. Lots of this food is being hauled to the, to the hills. Soldiers held maneuvers today with a mock attack on the palace and the hill around the officers club, beginning the maneuvers with a landing party at one of the beaches. Food continues to be scarce. Breakfast consisted of a small potato, slice of luncheon meat, and a half cup of coffee. Dinner, a small portion of spaghetti. Dinner was not served, breadline style, until 9.30 p.m. as he ran out of kerosene and had to go to PT for more. I'm sleeping good, though it is a bit cold. The rest are badly bothered by, by mosquitoes. Helped start a Spanish class with the aid of Spanish-English dictionary only. Ensign Wood of the USS Penguin was released from the hospital and joined our group. Harold Brinkerhoff. The work detail went to Petey. We unloaded several sampans of potatoes, cabbage, squash, radishes, and taro. There are two species of cabbage, regular and Chinese. The radishes are called daikon and are as large as two inches in diameter and two feet long. They are sweet and not strong and are used as a cooked vegetable. They taste something like turnips. I got a few spuds and onions. At noon, the Jap soldiers had canned salmon and boiled rice. I got a fair helping. I ate a lot of raw Chinese cabbage. When we had finished our work, we were taken to the mess hall and given about twice our usual helping of stew and rice. I felt filled up for once. December 28th, 1941. Harold Brinkerhoff. The Japanese officers have been around trying to buy watches. I have been approached twice, but have been able to hang on to mine. The Jap officer who speaks English was in and gave us news report. He said our Asiatic and Pacific fleets had been sunk. Manila, Midway, Wake, and Hong Kong had been captured. I was standing beside him. He said, you must not be downhearted. I looked at him, smiled, and said, our chins are still up. He noticed my watch, which I had carelessly put on. He liked it, and especially the fact that it was waterproof and non-magnetic. Several hours later, he came back with another officer. They wanted to see my watch. They tried to get the back off to see how many jewels it had. They wanted to buy it, but I told them it was a present, and I didn't want to sell it. The English-speaking Japanese officer said aside to me, you had better sell it to him. I figured they would get it one way or another, so I told him I would take $40 for it. He wanted me to accept part American and part Japanese money. I told him all American or no sale. They left and said they would be back. A radio man standing by said he would like to buy the watch. I asked Lane, our group spokesman. He said I'd better wait a few days and not offend the Japs by selling it to someone else. 
I waited three days and then sold it to the radio man for 30 bucks and his watch. That afternoon, the Japs came back. I had to tell them I had sold it, but the fellow was not there then. They got a hold of Lane and had him produce the radio man and got the watch from him for 40 bucks. I think I got the better of the deal, as the watch I received was more, worth more than $10. The Japs all have wristwatches, but they must not be much good as they trade them for Ingersoll's or any American watch. Charles F. Gregg. Breakfast, a potato, an egg, and coffee. No great happenings. Played chess and billiards. Continued reading of the Mormons. Did some washing. Dinner of potato and stew with two slices of bread. Torres set up a can of hot donuts. Guards are still trying to buy watches and cameras. December 29th, 1941. Harold Brinkerhoff. We are all very hungry. When food is brought in, we all stand around like hungry curs ready to jump in and grab a scrap that might fall. It is terrible to be so hungry. I am not as bad off as large men who require more nourishment. I can imagine how hungry they must be. There isn't as much complaint as one would think. Those who have been able to get garner a little rice and vegetables on work details, gather small sticks of wood and build fires outside along the walls of the church, and cook in tin cans. One fellow built a fire so close he caught the door on fire. Charles F. Gregg. Things are growing more routine each day. Up at 7 o'clock, wash, breakfast at 9, exercise at 1, dinner at 4.30 p.m. Kill time until 10 p.m. and to bed. Food is still sparse in comparison to what we're used to, however, quite sufficient to keep us going. Nonetheless, all of us are growing weak from lack of our normal diet. A little exercise each day is sufficient to tire one out. This is resulting in bickering and discontent or talk of rebellion among the more unstable men below us. Times and these conditions prove the true mettle of a man. Zeus, Slim Houston, is bedfast with an infected foot and has been for the past five days but manages to be cheerful regardless. Still reading, playing billiards and chess. Castro came by today and asked if he could get us anything. Gave him some suggestions but doubt if he'll be able to get anything. The troops are taking all canned food, livestock, etc. from the Chamorros. Time has really dragged today, and it's a godsend to be able to sleep. Spanish class is helping to kill part of the time. December 30th, 1941. Harold Brinkerhoff. We have been prisoners of the Japs for 20 days, and what long and weary days they have been. We are ravenous with hunger. Charles F. Gregg. The big kick is still concerning small rations. Although the hours that food is given out are equally bad, they have varied from 7 to 10 a.m. and dinner from 2.15 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. 
Hunger is an actuality in the lives for some of us for the first time in our lives. This regardless of the food that comes in from friends outside. The food is, however, sufficient to keep us going, and the real discontent, if any, should be poor sanitation facilities. Two lavatories for 400 men, one shower, one latrine, and only two places to wash clothes. We are getting by nicely, however, regardless of the above. Last night was the coldest since I've been at Guam. It made sleeping difficult even with all one's clothes on, consisting of socks, shirt, pants, and underwear shorts. Castro came back today with two skivvy shirts and two coconuts, gave them to the PAA fellows, Pan American fellows, in the other buildings and the boys below. Spanish class still progressing. December 31st, 1941. Harold Brinkerhoff. Last night was the coldest night I have felt in Guam. It was unpleasantly cold. I got up about 2 a.m. and walked to warm up. I put on all my extra clothes but was still cold. The Japs are celebrating their new year. Charles F. Gregg. Another cold night followed by a late breakfast. Food continues to come in, although some of the enlisted men have tried to send out notes, and various notes have been intercepted coming in. One of these notes said further communication would be in invisible ink. In this regard, our men are entirely in the wrong, and considering this, the Japanese, especially the officers, have been more than just and tolerant beyond the point to be expected. The fact is, even considering the food, we're getting much better treatment than any normal person would expect. And in parentheses, Chuck Gregg wrote, Blarney for a cover-up, should these records be found, 1946. The Japanese should be commended for their efforts and quite apparent desire to make things as reasonable for us as they can. Japanese doctors are treating Slim Houston's foot, and it's improving. Dean Morgan and M. Marks are getting quite a vocabulary of Japanese words, and I have a couple hundred. Spanish class is also progressing. New Year's Eve. Two slices of bread with potato and stew. Extra rations. Also had some preserves for the bread from our pooled supply of food. Some five of the fellows have even been so frugal that they even had a spot of cream de cocoa in their tea, which they had also promoted. Dissipation ran rampant. More than 20 cigarettes and four cigars were also smoked in celebration of the holiday spirit. To bed early is required, however, so 10 o'clock or 9 o'clock Omiya time saw our 45 in bed and there wasn't a whistle bell or a call to signal the entrance of 1942. January 1st, 1942. This is from the diary of Charles F. Gregg. Happy New Year was the greeting of one prisoner to another on getting up this morning. Then washing, shaving, 
Some of us are growing mustaches and goatees, followed by the usual things. Cards, chess, billiards, or reading with a few people speculating as to when we would be free. Guesses ran way from five days to one year or more. Since it has been drizzling or raining all morning, the gloomy side seems to have the majority of votes. Towards the end of the day, a red-hot rumor came in that a boat was coming and we would be returned to the States in five days. Boy, did this rumor get picked to pieces. Some believed it, some ridiculed it. Time alone is the proof. After Chow, Grant Wells had a fainting spell and passed out cold. He was brought to with no ill effects and cause anal analyzed as nervous excitement coupled with rundown condition. Commander Newman put on a demonstration of hypnotism after dinner. I walked in just in time to be his subject. Results tucked into going to sleep and believed I fell over backwards into swimming pool. Tea and cake after demonstration, courtesy of the officer's friends. Harold Brunkerhoff. We had a sandwich, a boiled spud, and coffee for breakfast. For dinner, we had a real treat. Fricasseed chicken, potato, cup of tomato juice. Chong sent me four turnovers, and Lowe's house girl sent in a whole fryer and some sandwiches. Boy, did we eat. We needed it, too, after the exercise yesterday. I gave Lowe $10 to give his girl to buy food with. Lowe has been so good about sharing with me, I wanted to reciprocate. This was one of the considerations when I sold my watch, so I might return some of his kindness. Roy Henning. Food hits all-time low. Only two meals per day. Bryant Sterling. After about two weeks, we were issued American-made sailor hammocks. Only about one dozen were actually able to hang them up. I managed to get one up. It was very nice to sleep in and lounge in during the daytime. Sailors built showers outside, also a toilet in back of the church. The toilet was Japanese-style, merely a trench with planks running parallel to each side, flush with the top of the ground. Corman came over from the hospital. One brought me a note from Tony Leonguero saying she sent me a cake and some sandwiches on Christmas. She also sent in some soap, a towel, and sandwiches on another day, but I never received them. Tony worried me by sending in a note because one native was shot at by a firing squad for sending in notes. However, this was the last note I ever got from Tony. Guess she found out about the other native. January 2nd, 1942. Harold Brunkerhoff. The families of the bamboos, who are the locals married to native women, were all allowed to come to the tennis court and their husbands and fathers allowed to visit with them for a couple of hours. There are 26 in this category. There's a lot of speculation as to why this was done. Some say it was to give them an opportunity to bid goodbye before we leave for Japan. Others think it was just a goodwill gesture. The Jap governor had a tea for all these influential native women the other day. 
Jim Underwood's girls and several others entertained with singing and native dances. Several Marines turned in today. There are about 15 men still out. Two radio men turned in. They tell some tales about the backcountry. The streams are filled with freshwater shrimps. There are lots of quail. They're smaller than our Arizona quail. Also lots of wild pigeons. The freshwater streams have edible fish and there are plenty of coconuts. Charles F. Gregg. Routine day, up at seven to bed at 10, light breakfast, but good dinner, stew, potato, and some cake, courtesy of the Chamorros, got seconds on stew and potato. Spent half of an hour walking around briskly for exercise and then sunbathed, showered and did some washing. There were still lots of rumors, but the main one now is that we'll be taken to Japan. Winter clothes are to be furnished to the Marines, but for the civilians, who knows? Also, three Pan Am Clippers were supposed to have been taken. Here's a good rumor. Italy had sued for peace. January 3rd, 1942. Governor George J. McMillan. On 3 January, the prisoners were assembled again, this time in the plaza for another review of the Japanese troops. Major General Hori took the review stationed in front of Dorn Hall in the plaza of Aganya. About 75 Japanese women, geisha girls, question mark, in native costume were lined up behind him, also the local Japanese residents. These girls had been imported in Guam shortly after the troops arrived for the convenience of the troops. They were generally quartered in the United States officer's home taken over the furniture and household effects as they found them. Early in January, we were informed that we would be transferred from Guam in the near future, that we would go to a colder climate, and that we might take only such baggage as we could carry. Charles F. Gregg. Parade today before breakfast. The Japanese, in an effort to impress upon the Americans the war might of the Japanese fighting forces, put on a military parade and sham battle during which all prisoners were required to be present. Just as Chow was brought in at 10 a.m., they told us to line up and marched all prisoners, approximately 400, to the plaza to see all the Japanese troops march by in review. American nurses, five of them, and all hands were present, stood in the rain for a good part of the review and then marched to the top of the hill on the golf course to watch a demonstration by their crack infantry unit. Demonstrated attack and taking trenches by use of flamethrowers and simulated grenade and machine gun fire combined with infantry infiltration. They had some fire display. Flamethrowers also from World War One. Roy Henning. The flames were just dripping out of the muzzle. It was a pitiful show. Charles F. Gregg. It really was a sad sight. One of the soldiers who fired the flamethrowers couldn't get the thing lit. Then the kerosene ran out, and it got on his shoe, and it set his shoes on fire. This was military might, boy. Roy Henning. It was comical, but we were captive audiences. Charles Gregg. God, it was really hot marching up there, too, in Guam. It was probably 85 degrees. Roy Henning. A lot of the fellows were passing out on that little trek. Charles F. Gregg. 
We hadn't had much food, and they didn't give us any water. We got up there, and we had to bow very lowly as we left church before the guard. And when we came back in, and if you didn't bow low enough, they'd shove you in the rear with a bayonet or slap you. Harold Brinkerhoff. This morning after our meager breakfast, we were herded into the plaza for a display of Japanese armed might. They marched by file on file for a better part of an hour. Some pulled a few small artillery pieces. The biggest was 3 inch or 37 millimeter. Not very impressive. I'm sure I saw some of the same units pass twice. As nearly as I was able to count, there were about 2,400 Japs in the parade. It started to rain during the parade and we got wet. The rain is warm and you dry off quickly, but the air remains stifling hot and sticky. After the parade, we were marched up the hill to the golf course. The grade was quite steep. The rain had stopped. It was very hot and humid. A number of men had to drop out on the way up. They just couldn't take it. They were so weak from lack of food. After we got up on the hill, three Marines passed out. The Japs had a sham battle. A squad of screaming Japs dashed over a ridge in a simulated charge while another squad came from the opposite direction. They engaged each other in a sham battle which appeared quite real. They had a flamethrower centered on a palm tree some 40 feet away and caught it on fire. Then it, out, then it let out a couple bursts and fizzled out. Two men turned in. They said the officer who questioned them said the armed forces are going to Japan. We hope if there's any truth to it, we civilians will be left here. One of the fellows who turned in today was a radio operator. He'd been called out several times. He was accused of having a sending set out in the boondocks. He was having a hard time convincing them differently. The Japs said they have heard signals going out from Guam. There are several radio men still out. It is known there were several sets, but they were very short range. The Japs have confiscated all radios on the island. They're coming in by the truckloads. There are some really nice ones. Boy, am I hungry. No food in today, and our meals were very scanty. I would eat the south end of a northbound skunk if I had salt for it. Dick Arvidson. The prisoners marched some distance from the cathedral to witness a military exercise by the Japanese Marines, including the firing of artillery and the machine gunning of an American flag, presumably to emphasize their victory and lower our morale. Some prisoners had difficulty making the march because it was some distance, and we had been receiving very, very meager food rations. The routine of living in the cathedral is awaken at 6.30 a.m., then at 9.30 a.m., the first so-called meal of the day is made available. Then again, a ration is provided at 3.30 p.m. in the afternoon. At 8 o'clock, lights are turned out. The malnutrition situation was, ca was causing dizziness among a number of prisoners, including myself, and it became difficult to exert oneself very much without an onset of dizziness and extreme fatigue. Many of the prisoners are residents of the island and have local Guamadian companions who bring them food and clothing items from the outside. These items are carefully inspected by the Japanese guards at the camp.
Bryant Sterling. Japanese Navy takes over control of Island January 3rd, 1942. We all had to assemble in the plaza to watch the Japanese Navy take possession. I saw Tony Leonguero, but was unable to speak to her. Roy Hahn faints due to malnutrition and was carried back to the church. We were asked to assemble as we were standing in line just about to get breakfast. Our food got cold. After leaving the plaza, instead of coming back to church, we were marched up the hill to watch an army review. Many men were unable to make it up the hill. One division attacked the other division in a mock battle. They also gave a demonstration of a flamethrower. Charles F. Gregg. Back at 1 p.m., and breakfast really tasted good. Slim Houston turned worse, arthritis in the ankle due to spread of infection from his foot. They took him to the hospital for examination and dressed his foot, but returned him to our building to stay unless he has a very high fever. Slim has been in bed now for almost two weeks. So many rumors of going to Japan that officers started to eat their emergency food supply that all of us had contributed towards. They returned our food as rumor has it that we are to stay here. Lots of talk, but it's foolish to believe any of it until actions are the proof. Learn to play dominoes with Dr. William Williams today. 4th, 1942, Harold Brinkerhoff. I got up at 5.30 a.m. I couldn't sleep, so I walked in the courtyard. I guess the rumor about going to Japan is gaining ground as the locals had been bringing in heavy clothing for their men. Lowe's girl brought in a whole chicken and all the trimmings, dressing in a pumpkin pie. The pie was the best I ever tasted, or else hunger is a salve for taste. Boy, did I eat or did I eat. I never knew what pleasure there was in eating. The consensus is that we are Japan-bound most any day. The civilians are still clinging to the hope that we will be left behind and only the military will go. I think the Japs want to get rid of all of us. Charles F. Gregg. Max rigged up a heat lamp for Slim's leg today and he appears to be getting along fairly well. Two others are sick with dysentery, one acutely with bacillary type. He had to be doped to kill gas pains. Athlete's foot is on a rampage. Madsen and Schwartz have it so bad they can hardly walk. Besides this, there are cases of crabs, lice, ringworm, and Guam blister, particularly among the enlisted men and contractors' workmen. Received some coffee and cookies from an anonymous donor yesterday, and believe Segundo was the one who sent up coffee and donuts today. Thanks to the food gifts, which are divided among all of us, we were able to exist rather cheerfully on figs and small food rations. January 5th, 1942. Harold Brinkerhoff. The start of just another week. I have a feeling that something is going to happen today. I have nothing to base my theory on. Our breakfast was exceptionally small. We all remain hungry. We get only enough food to excite our appetites. The locals are visiting their families, so we think it is for goodbyes. The Chamorro mess boys told us a ration was to be cut. The bamboos are back and said the officers said there would be other visits. We are partially reassured. 
Our dinner was even larger than usual, usual, so the mess boy's story was wrong, too. Four weeks have passed. Charles F. Gregg. Well, today is the fifth day, the one the rumor had us returning to the States on. The end of the day, we'll see that rumor scotched the same as many others. Today really has been a humdinger. All of us were almost convinced we were here, we were to leave. Wives of the bamboos were instructed to be here at 2 o'clock p.m., and some said to say goodbye. Food of all sorts was brought in, and also lots of clothing. The packages were labeled, farewell gifts, etc. A good many of the men packed their clothes, no hard job for me. We were all on edge for a while, wondering where we were going. Rumor was, and still is, about 80% for Tokyo or environs. The visiting of wives passed off as the first of weekly visiting periods, however, so looks as if worry was for naught. I'm optimistic and believe if we're taken off, it will be for return to the States. Optimism has no logical basis, however, so faith alone is a major factor. Really hungry this evening and, and afternoon. Believe it is the results of olfactory and visual nerves exciting gastric and stomach muscles on the sight of other people's food. Our rations were really quite sufficient for our substance, and this was undoubtedly a, a, a decoy. Well, I've caught you up for the first week of January 1942.